Hello, everybody, and welcome to another special edition of the Event Industry News podcast. This podcast is kindly sponsored by N200 GES, our smart event solution partner. For more information on N200 and its smart event solutions, visit n200.com. So, as I mentioned, this is another special edition of the Event Industry News podcast. Um, Regular subscribers to it via video or via iTunes will know that um, we've been talking recently uh, about how politics is going to affect the events industry um, and how we think it's going to affect it, particularly in light of, of the recent general election. So we, we did a special podcast episode a couple of weeks ago. Um, today's podcast is being recorded on Tuesday the 4th of July um, and there have been some significant developments since the last episode of the podcast. Um, what I'm going to now do is, is bring in today's guests so that we can begin looking at the subject a little bit further and perhaps um, reflecting slightly on some of the stuff that we've spoken about before, but certainly get some fresh opinions and some fresh views on it. So first of all, let's say a very good afternoon to uh, Mr. David Phillips. David is the director of Brookhouse Limited, a B2B events and marketing consultancy. David, a very good afternoon to you. Hi there, James. Good to see you. Yeah, thank you very much for joining us. And um, our uh, other guest this afternoon is Nick Wright. Nick is a teaching fellow in EU politics at the University College London, so extremely well positioned, I think, to, to, to comment perhaps on a, a more broader level um, uh, of this particular subject. Nick, thank you very much for joining us. Pleasure, James. Nice to be on. Probably also worth mentioning that, uh, albeit some time ago, Nick, you also have a background in the events industry, um, in conferences and that side of things. So um, yeah. I know you mentioned that that was uh, a fair few years back, but nonetheless, there is a, a reference point there. But I think we're very much going to use you as our uh, as our political expert today. Um, but David, let's come to you first of all. Um, I know that you contacted Event Industry News a couple of weeks ago, having seen um, some of the messages that we put out about responses to the general election, how we think it's going to affect the events industry. What prompted you to get in touch with us and uh, I suppose what, what views do you have that, that you wanted to get aired? Thanks James. So um, yeah I, I was interested in your um, call actually from the first podcast so um, you were very clear that the panellists had been very much in the pro-Brexit camp. Um, yeah you recognize that and that you were really keen to get um, views almost from the other side of the fence within the events industry as it were so um, really um, you got my interest and I threw my hat straight in the ring within minutes of listening to that first podcast. So, so what immediately springs to mind then uh, as a difference of opinion and a different train of thought uh, that you would have compared to some you know the opinions of people who were quite vocally Tory supporters and supporters of Brexit. So okay, so for transparency, um, I'll say I would describe myself as a pragmatic Remainer. Um, I didn't vote uh, to leave the EU, but it's happened, the vote happened, we are leaving in some form, in what form it's going to be we don't know yet. Um, I don't see that there are um, you know that th there is a sort of golden path to some um, sunny uplands of opportunity at some point in the distance. Um, I know that um, you had a panelist on the first podcast from Logistics. His name escapes me. Um, yeah. One of his views that struck me was um, that there's going to be some probably some short-term pain, but it'll be worth it in the long run. I think that's something I do 
fundamentally disagree with. Yes, there might be opportunity, but it's unknown. We've used the word uncertainty a lot. I prefer to call it risk, but there is an uncertainty there. We don't know what level of opportunity we're going to face, and that short-term pain doubtless means damage to revenues, damage to turnover, and people's jobs. And I'm not sure for me whether that's a trade-off worth having for some possible opportunity in the future. And if there is an opportunity, we're going to have to work very, very hard to get it. We already have difficult economic and trading conditions. So we, we, we already face that. We're already in turbulent times. But this is just one more thing that businesses and the events industry now have to deal with. So I've got some fundamental differences with this, the, with the standard Brexiteer view. And, and let's, if it's okay with you, put it into a little bit of context then. Um, as I mentioned at the top of the show when I introduced you, you work specifically in B2B events and marketing. So how do you see the current political climate affecting perhaps negatively the specific area of the events industry that you're working in? What are some yeah, of the I mean, fears that people have got? I mean, what, what strikes me first is the, the pace of change that we've seen since the election. I mean, there are new messages coming out all the time, and we're seeing some stances softening. Um, you know, we've recently had um, briefings come out on changes on our Brexit expectations from negotiations. The transition period, the sort of received wisdom has been one, possibly two years. Hammond recently signaled that could be anywhere up to four. We're now seeing a potential um, softening of the stance on public sector pay freezes. And I heard on Radio 4 yesterday there might well be a reduction in the importance of tax cutting as a political agenda. So um, for the events industry, as in all industries, we've got to keep an eye on this because it's changing week by week. Um, there, there, are ma there are macroeconomic factors that are going to affect our industry. We're seeing some positive signals. Um, certainly B2B um, is very, very sector dependent. So the strength of the particular sector you're specializing in is very much going to affect your success. Now, we are seeing some good stories come through. Rolls-Royce investing 150 million safeguarding 7,000 odd jobs. Jaguar Land Rover have also, I think it was announced, 5,000 jobs in the UK. <laughs> Although interestingly, um, it seems that they're going to be developing their electric car vehicle production and capability, I think, in Austria or Germany. Um, there's an increase in tech FDI in London. Gatwick's recording record passenger number growth again. So. There are very good signs coming out depending on which sector you're in, but again, there are caveats to this. Um, our GDP growth forecasts, while they've been slightly upgraded, they are still painfully low, around 2% or less for the foreseeable future. The Institute of Directors have um, done a member survey and they are dramatically seeing um, business pessimism amongst business leaders. For B2B owners, that's a big risk. If the sector's not performing well, your events aren't going to perform well. So that's one risk that B2B event organizers, whether they're you know, classic trade show organizers or whether they are um, event agencies that are servicing B2B clients, they're going, to be have, they're going to have to be very, very careful about their business forecasting and about how they manage that risk and try and keep their businesses growing.
At this point, um, Nick, let, let's um, let, let's let's bring you in on this because the first thing I would, I'd like to ask is, as a teaching fellow in EU politics in a uh, an academic institution, are you allowed to have an opinion one way or the other, or do you have to try and remain impartial on a day-to-day -day basis, and do you have to leave your own opinions at the doors? And is this an appropriate medium through this podcast to actually get your own opinions on this, or is there anything else you would like to, uh, or would you like to remain impartial? Academia is all about opinions, so it's just whether or not the opinions are well informed or slightly less informed. So yeah, no, I'm quite happy to offer. I'm quite happy to offer my opinions uh, and my views based on what I know and what I've researched. Um, if people people don't have to agree with them, is the point. Okay, so um, let, let, let's find a good starting point to this because I've, I've just made a note as, as David was going through his last point and, and he used the word pessimism, a lot of pessimism amongst, amongst the, the, the business world. Um, and one thing that the, when the word pessimism is ever used, I wonder if it could be a, 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 a route to a self-fulfilling prophecy is that if enough people become pessimistic then collectively they, they, they actually bring upon themselves a downturn, whereas actually if they stayed a little bit more positive in their outlook, they might actually maintain things on a, on a little bit of a better level. How would you say the current climate is going to affect people who are taking a pessimistic attitude and could, could an element of confidence actually allow us to retain stability? I think that's a really good question. I think there is a, yeah, I mean I suppose there is to a certain extent this notion of self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean just look at markets, if, if, if there's a lack of confidence in the markets, uh, and that kind of leads to to, to, to even, even greater loss of confidence. I mean, look at the uh, the financial crisis that was basically built on that whole principle. But I think the, the, the thing is, regardless of whether one was pro-remain or pro-leave, the big issue we have now, as David pointed out, is uncertainty. The only certainty we have right now is that the next few years are going to be very uncertain. And whatever is being said by government ministers about transitions and this, that, and the other two years or four years, my personal view is that is highly optimistic, given the sheer level of complexity that is involved in actually negotiating, first of all, our withdrawal and then working out what our new relationship is going to be. There is so much that we have to work out, even if we're just going to have a very loose trading, array, array, uh, trading relationship with, uh, with our soon-to-be ex-EU partners. It is there's a massive long list of things that need to be considered, regulatory issues affecting every walk of life, every form of business, and that is going to have a big impact. So this uncertainty is going to be with us for a while, and whatever one feels about Brexit, it's how you manage that now that's going to be the big challenge for business. Well, well on that subject of management then, uh, again, uh, I'd very much like to get your opinion on the political bickering that uh, it seems to be going on constantly at the moment. Uh, and I, I know having a strong opposition is a very fundamental part of having a, a, any democracy. Having somebody to challenge leaders and challenge the way things are done is, is absolutely vital. But when it starts to descend into a lot of bickering, a lot of backbiting, a lot of throwing of mud, is that actually helping our position as a country? When it, become, when, it, when it comes to negotiating. Do we have to try and maybe take a bit, bit more of a collective stance on this? Actually, I, I, to be honest, I think the domestic situation, domestic bickering is largely irrelevant because the point is the agreements that matter and the negotiations that matter are taking place in Brussels between David Davis and his team, Michel Barnier and his team on behalf of the EU27. So I think there is quite a lot of... Um, 
I don't believe the, uh, the the pitch that was made that a stronger a stronger majority for Theresa May in the election would have somehow strengthened her hand enormously. The only thing that Brussels is concerned about is that whether or not whoever is in power in the UK is able to make a deal and stick to it. That's the kind of the key, the key thing here. Um, and so, in that sense, in that sense, a lot of what is happening domestically is kind of noises off. What is really important, though, is that at some point in the next weeks. And the next two or three months, the UK government has to come to a settled viewpoint in terms of what it actually wants to negotiate. Um, to that extent, having uh, having an effective opposition is important in terms of debating issues and making sure we have a clear uh, a clear focused position. But in the end, it's what goes on in those rooms and in, in in the the buildings in Brussels that really matters. Just going back to the actual the the, the general election um, result and, and and the immediacy of of the the pressures it places on the country day to day, um, that that was fundamentally why we we did the first episode of the, uh, of the 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 election podcast a couple of weeks ago. So so coming back to you, David, um, if it's at all possible to sort of forget Brexit for a second, um, is how does the actual general election result on a, on a short-term basis, how has it already started to affect or bring about any differences among the people that you're working with and the clients that you're working with? Two things. Um, there's been some tactical removal of events. I mean, you know, marketing generally uh, is always one of the first things to be cut when times are uncertain. So there has been evidence um, of some reduction in event activity. It's not been enormous, um, but there's either been a small cutback in event activity or people are holding off um, on their plans um, to hold events. People are also looking very much again um, at all the financials, um, the bottom line and the costs, seeing where they can maximize revenues. Um, I'm I mean, they're, they're, they're certainly the two big short-term things I'm seeing. Um, above and beyond that, it's difficult for people to plan. Um, if I cannot, it, relating back to this um, word uncertainty, um, mm. it's, it, it's not a word I'm very keen on, and, and I wish we could actually get away from that word uncertainty now, because uncertainty is something very, very difficult to define. It's a, it's a rather flowery, fuzzy term, and I don't think it helps us as business people because we can't plan for uncertainty uh, because we don't, by the nature of its word, know what that is. I prefer to use the word risk, and I'd rather start talking about this in terms of risk because when you start defining it that way, then you can start managing that. You can start mitigating that risk. You can start planning for it and that then helps you mitigate the risk. I mean, if you look at the uncertainties that we have around us, you could mention um, you could mention uncertainties over exchange rates, interest rates, free movement and employment, access to overseas markets. They're all fairly generic terms. When you start looking at those in terms of actual risk, that, start mm. take, that starts taking you beyond the short term and means that you have a longer term framework in which to start planning. We know pretty much from recent signals that not just the economy as a whole, but as an industry, we've got somewhere between two to four years to plan this. That's actually quite a window. Um, and when you start talking about risks and looking at specifics, so just a few examples that I 
um, trail. So a European related one, well, Europe, you know, large European conventions. Is the UK going to start to be removed from that rotation cycle um, as we move away from the EU and Europe? That's Do you mean that in terms of uh, of utilisation of venues? So a, a major convention. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, absolutely, the UK as an as an events destination in terms of the big European conventions, there could be a risk in the UK being removed from that cycle. Look at something like the gradual removal of um, lack of. EU grant funding. So at the moment, we ha so let's take ERDF um, as an example. Now I know from my government work that a lot of government agencies have been replacing the loss of money from Treasury um, for business support events, and they've been bringing in ERDF money um, to help fund these business support events. Um, at some point, that ERDF money is going to be removed and no longer available, and government all of a sudden isn't going to be able to offer that business support. That directly affects the events industry, and let's not forget that the government mm -hmm. is a big event organizer. Um, we're, if, we're I, also... if, I, if I could just ask a second, David, and this, I think this is an appropriate point to come back to Nick then. Um, Pro-Brexiters uh, would, would suggest that any lack of EU, fund, EU funding is simply our own money coming back to us. It's money that we've paid into the European pot, which is then filtered through their own outlets and then back into us under the banner of European Development Fund. So pro-Brexiters would argue what David just said then, that the, uh, a drying up of European funds to fund some of these simply frees up more money once we're out of the EU that we've got our own that we're not paying into the EU. Well, in, th in theory that's the case. But the, the, there's two caveats to that. So first of all, that would then require in this new kind of post-Brexit uh, situation, the government of the day to decide it was going to give that money to those particular and those particular and those particular channels. And the second thing related to that is to get EU money. There are very strict criteria on where and how it can be spent. So you have you know straight away you can apply for particular pots of pots of money, particular funding, and use it in certain ways. And so. You know, business models, etc., will be built around that, knowing that there's access to money that has to be used in a certain way. So I think that that that's an important thing. There's a couple of things that I just like to sort of pick up on from what from what Dave said, if that's that's all right. I mean, Absolutely. One of the things, one of the things I think is interesting in terms of um, you know the potential impact on the pound, etc., of of Brexit, the fact the pound has become much weaker is. The, you know, to a certain extent, you could argue that might make the UK more appealing uh, as a cheaper destination to hold these sort of big European conventions. So, you know, in terms of, I mean, I'm not, I'm not an expert in the business models of these companies, but one would assume that, you know, it, whilst that might not be beneficial for everyone, that might be an advantage in terms of uh, holding events in the UK. Um, but there's a bigger point that I want to come back. You know, I think Dave is absolutely right to talk about risk, but actually, risk is in a sense built on a certain degree of certainty and that so you, you think oh, if I know X happens and I got to plan for Y etc. We are kind of pre-risk in the sense that we don't know which direction we're, we're going to go in. We, we live in. we're living in an environment of political uncertainty which goes right to the very top of government and this is a big problem because if we think right well we are going to go down a path of complete withdrawal, falling back on WTO rules, business can plan for that. If we're going to end up with something akin to a Norwegian-style relationship with the European Union, with a certain degree of, of interaction yeah. with the European Court of Justice, etc., business can plan for that. If we're going to have a much closer relationship, business can plan for that. Because we don't know any of those things, we simply don't know what the government wants to do, 
it's very, I mean, unless business is going to plan for a whole range of eventualities, they are, in that sense, stuck. So yes, there is a, a window, but there's that lack of political certainty, which is the starting point for all of this. And so it seems to me that whoever is in government, there needs to be absolute clarity on that. And we do have this, this kind of, this, this debate within government, around the cabinet table, between those who are in favour of a kind of, you know, if you like, an ultra-hard Brexit, and those who want to kind of manage it in a more pragmatic way. But until that issue is sorted out, and let's just remind ourselves, this is the fundamental cleavage that's been in the Tory party for the last 25 years since Maastricht in terms of our relationship with the European Union. This is just the latest manifestation of it. Until that is resolved, it's going to be very difficult for businesses to get to get on with things. And I think it is fine. My final point, very quickly, I think it's very interesting. There was a story today that big companies in the city of London are now starting to talk directly to Brussels in terms of planning sort of the longer term relationship between the city and, and Brussels and regulation and things like that. And that reflects the fact that they're now starting to look at government in London thinking, how relevant are they? How relevant are they going to be for our long-term business requirements? Let's go straight to where the power lies. And so what is actually happening is that, you know, and it could lead to an increasing sense that, you know, London, London as a central political authority will become increasingly bypassed, which is another reason why government needs to get a grip on what it actually wants out of all of this. And in that sense, uncertainty, I'm afraid, is still, is still the, 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 the word of the day. David, without... Um... Without sounding facetious, isn't the entire events industry built on risk? The, the entire industry is, yeah, at, at any point, your ticket sales could dry up for no apparent reason. You could launch your event that you've been running for 20 years and nobody bothers to register this year. Our, ind our industry is fundament fundamentally built on risk, uncertainty, the weather out for outdoor events. You know, you've got a plan for both eventualities. It could be red hot and you've got to have loads of water there for people. It could be absolutely teeming it down with rain and you've got to figure out how to get trucks off the site. Is it, it okay, this is a bit of a bigger thing, but as an industry, could we not be planning for some of these eventualities that Nick has highlighted? That's a brilliant question. This is an industry built on risk, but manage risk based on evidence. No event organizer, goes into an event or will back an event financially or take the, take the risk on the event unless it's sure that it can make it pay. It doesn't go into anything if it thinks the risks are too high. Um, in one way, it makes us very good at coping with this because we are a very cost-centered, a very turnover-focused industry. And I think we always have managed risk. That will put us in a very, very good place to get us through this. Um, but no, I certainly don't think that we're an industry built on blind risk. Absolutely not. Is, is it really blind risk, though, at the moment, Nick? You, you mentioned that there are potential outcomes, you know, a Norwegian-style arrangement. You gave two or three examples there. So surely we could actually look, and, and, and even though there is this and I use the word that David hates, uncertainty at the moment, we can at the very least put it down to three, maybe four possible outcomes and start looking at, right, how we'll be affected if each of these outcomes, it, you know, becomes relevant. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I suppose the question is simply, if you're a business owner, and it depends how big your business is, how much money can you put into making those plans and what will that, what will that mean? At some point, presumably, you have to make choices, for example, 
in terms of headcount, in terms of resources you need to invest and where you need to invest them, where are you going to be focusing sort of advertising and marketing budgets, etc. You know, so so absolutely you can have your kind of you can have four different folders for the four different potential outcomes, but at some point you need to know where where we're heading. And this is this is this is this is what's missing. And I think this is the this is the big problem for you know for businesses across the board in the UK in terms of well, what 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 is what is actually going to happen here? Where are we going to go? Um, so I, I mean, I don't imagine a kind of a, a you know a, a small, for example, a small uh, business in the events industry with kind of you know very sort of tight, tight sort of turnover numbers. Kind of, you know, presumably making these kind of plans will be expensive, and not knowing is at some point going to become expensive as well. I think that's that's the problem. Um, David, just reflecting back on on uh, something we mentioned a few minutes ago, the word the word pessimism amongst business leaders. Um, that said. There is an awful lot of confidence, again, within the events industry in the quality of the services and the quality of the people that the UK offers within the industry. You know, I ask, and I ask this question, I raise this point quite a lot on the podcast, is that our event industry in the UK is seen from the outside as being a world leader in many, many different aspects, both in the services, the products, and the people itself. So surely the EU and European countries and other European event professionals and potential clients will want, regardless of what the deal is, to continue utilising our services because we're the best at delivering them. I mean, they will for sure. I'll, I'll just go back to what I um, said at the top of the podcast. Um, I am a pragmatic Remainer. Um, so I'm, it's, it's not all doom and gloom from me. Um, we have, just to provide some balance on my own view, there, there are some really positive um, noises and some actually really positive facts coming out of the industry. So um, the, the majority, I, I, I read something recently um, on uh, one event industry survey, um, I've got the figures here, so 65% of organisers were expecting continued growth in their shows um, and 56% of them um, were planning new launches. So there is still good news out there. Um, yes, um, there's a great campaign promoting the UK overseas. I know that there's been some question marks over, well, you know, what are, what are other trading countries globally going to make of the UK's perception? Are we going to be seen as uh, starting to become protectionist? Um, it's, it's not a view I hold personally. I'm not seeing any great evidence of that so far. Um, we're maintaining, so the, the ICCA, for example, um, they uh, put out an annual ranking of um, where the UK is globally as an association conference destination. We are still maintaining our ranking. We've been tracking somewhere four, five, or six. Um, certainly the last figure I saw, um, that's going back 2014, 2015. So we're maintaining our world ranking. Um, there are massive campaigns going on to promote the UK abroad. The UK government's been running the great campaign sector by sector and expanding it um, since the um, 2010 coalition onwards. And I'm very, very glad to see that Visit Britain are now running an Events Are Great campaign, which you can be assured will be running in business destinations, in airport departure lounges globally. So I'm very, very glad to see that we are um, tr 
trying to maintain that position as an events destination. It is very it is very creative. Um, I think we're one of the best in the world at it. I think if you look at um, a trade show or an event that's been put on by a UK organizer compared to say um, what American organizers do, I think we are way, way ahead of the field. And, and I think actually this is probably an opportunity to really expand on that creativity. Um, I've been to trade shows over the last year especially where previously I've seen a really um, vanilla event experience and people are even thinking about the visual design and the look and feel of the, you know, whether, whether it's um, a seminar room or a live theatre on a show floor. Gone are the rows of really uncomfortable seating. We're really starting to play around with the event experience now, which is brilliant, and we're doing that more and more, and that will help us. I think if, if we can de demonstrate that globally, um, which I think we're going to need to, but we can certainly do it, then we, we will maintain that reputation for creativity. We're not a low-value economy anymore. We are competing globally on high-value add, so that puts us in a good place. Um, Nick, I think it's so, yeah. If I can just come, come come back on that very quickly, yeah. Um, I think I mean I think David's absolutely right. I mean, it's not like we're suddenly going to stop being good at the things that we're good at overnight just because we're withdrawing from the European Union. I mean, that absolutely not. There's no reason, for example, why London would be just as an attractive a venue. People are still going to want to come in. Yeah, people are still going to want to go to Glasgow, so Edinburgh, or wherever it happens to be, uh, and our, our our skilled workforce is, is, is not going to lose any skills. Um, it's really about how do how, to what extent do we need to up our game? How do we kind of up from here? How do we increase you know investment and skills and make sure that we are able to compete internationally? Because that's 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 going to be the big thing. Is is we we you know we need to be doing what we're doing, but doing it sort of. Doing, doing it even more, and this is a, again, this is come, comes back to one of these key points: is um, do we turn Brexit into into an op, into that kind of opportunity to be much more globalist in outlook? It's very, very competitive out there across the board. But the things that we're good at, we sh you know we should be able to maintain a competitive advantage. But we have to make sure that underlying all that, there isn't a, a decrease in economic confidence in the UK more broadly and also this other very important point which comes back to what Dave was saying about perception is that we have this globalist outlook on the one hand but if we get bogged down for example in discussions over immigration and border controls and we start to appear to be insular and looking inwards and unwelcoming that's where I, that's where where the sort of tensions might be, but otherwise there's no, you know, there's no reason, for, you know, from this day to the next, that you know, what we're good at, for example, in the events industry, isn't going to carry on going from strength to strength. Um, one thing, very quickly, because we're getting towards the time, unfortunately, where we're going to start wrapping up, um, wrapping up uh, this episode. But from a communication point of view, the negotiations have started now. Um, yeah. Is there a way that people can, can monitor what's happening on a daily basis? Could the level of communication that is coming out of those daily negotiations, as arduous and as, uh, as boring as some of that may be, could it actually help us understand on a better level what's happening and keep everybody in the picture so that there is less conjecture and you know, what if and uncertainty, et cetera, et cetera? What's your thoughts on that? I mean, I think there is. I think there are two things. So, first of all, you're going to have these these um, 
I think it's a, a, once a month, these week-long blocks of negotiations, and there are going to be formal press conferences at the beginning and the end of those. So there will be clear moments in the calendar where we can see what's happening. We know as well that the initial focus will be on, if you like, the withdrawal agreement. So thinking about the amount of money, um, the, the, the financial commitment, the financial obligations, dealing with EU citizens' rights and UK citizens' rights, and dealing with Northern Ireland. Those are the kind of the first things. And once enough progress has been made on those, we then start to look at the future relationship, so that's also that's also clear, that's going to be laid out. And we also have the fact that the EU has made a very strong commitment to transparency, not least because they are very well aware that they wouldn't be able to keep everything secret. Anyway, things leak out of, out of EU institutions very, very regularly, so there will be access to you know, materials, documents, statements, etc. So, for anyone interested in that, and you know, you know as you say, it's, some of it's not going to be the most exciting stuff in the world. It's going to be quite, quite nitty gritty and niche. But follow the Twitter feeds on the institutions. Follow the Twitter feeds on those kind of, kind of, involved, and there will be a lot of material. I don't think it's going to be a problem of lack of material. I think it's actually there's going to be so much material. It's how do you keep on top of it all? Uh, but we will be able to track these these quite closely, and then we'll obviously. That will that will add further sort of impetus for our for our own government to to be sure that it's kind of keeping us uh, keeping us uh, uh, sort of up to date with what's going on. And the other thing I would obviously and I said you know and I say this to all my students as well: don't believe everything you read in the newspapers. Get the stuff firsthand. Look at the kind of the press conferences, uh, etc. Watch watch and listen to and read these things for yourself because that's where you'll find out what's really happening. And David, um, if we come to you finally before we we wrap up. Um, Nick mentioned about remaining uh, or, or, or giving a positive outlook on what we can offer as an events industry and coming back to that point, as a consultant and as somebody who's working with presumably lots of different clients across different types of industry sector but helping them to, 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 to stage events and, um, and deliver events through a marketing capacity, Will, will part of your job now as a consultant very much be on maintaining and trying to bring some positivity to that sector, looking at ways that they can promote themselves, that they can amplify their messages and do their events on a level that actually is helping their business? Or is it difficult to, to, to send that events industry message when you are working with clients who are not in the events industry as such? I wouldn't say, James, that it's um, solely my job. Um, to be honest with you, we're all doing it, and I think we live and breathe that mindset about our industry every day, and everybody's doing it very, very well. It, it, it is a really fantastic, dynamic industry, so everybody's doing that. Um, I think where I would be advising people to look is probably, uh, well, there are lots of things, but um, there are three things that spring to mind at the moment for me. Um, one is keep an eye out on... Um, the freedom of movement issue and employment. Um, I mean, for me, the hospitality industry has benefited enormously from freedom of movement. Um, and if there are going to be restrictions on freedom of movement and getting um, skilled workers in in future, whether that's you know longer term workers or you know more gig economy type, shorter term people to fill gaps, that's going to have an impact on us. So. Um, I would definitely advise people to keep an eye on that. Logistics is also going to be one as well. Um, if we come out of the customs union, um, transactional costs of logistics and customs duties could be higher. If you're building in the UK and you're shipping kit overseas, you might have to start thinking, well, is it going to be more cost effective to build locally? I've certainly had to do that 
not recently, that was probably a year or two ago, but there are going to be decisions there to make on logistics and for people who are shipping into Ashley, that's a really important one. The final one I would make is if you are exposed to European markets and from some AEO figures I've seen about um, proportion of um, event industry turnover and profit, uh, we are very heavily exposed to Western and Eastern Europe. You've got to be thinking about new markets. That's not just on a sector basis, but if you are heavily exposed to Europe and you think you're going to take a hit, you need to be looking at new markets as well. It's a long-term play. Market entry isn't a short-term play at all, but as I mentioned earlier, we have a two to four year window to start thinking about this. We've got a great export support set up in the UK. If you want tactical support on things like logistics or customs, Institute of Export, open to export, they are regularly putting out webinar and other content material about those sort of issues. If you're looking to move into other markets, um, you've got the Department for International Trade that used to be UKTI. They've got a great export support network. They have teams of international trade advisors in England. I would recommend you go and see them. The devolved administrations in Wales, Scotland and Ireland also have their own export support. If you use trade shows as a method of market entry, there is something called the Trade Show Access Programme which helps earlier and first-time exporters uh, bear the cost of going to overseas trade shows to promote themselves. So there are very, very specific things we can do in this industry if you are finding yourself exposed to the European market and you want to try and start mitigating that risk. So, yeah, my three would be logistics, employment, and new overseas markets. But as I say, new overseas markets comes with a caveat. It's a long-term play. Start now and use the support we've got because there is a lot of it out there. I think that's, that's a brilliant point to end on, David, because um, I, I think we can perhaps get quite rightly, you know, a, a bit a bit bogged down with, with, with Brexit and what's happening in the EU, but we shouldn't forget that we are part of a far, far bigger marketplace. The global marketplace is, is vast and by comparison to the EU, um, represents the potential to, to, to offer huge amounts of business. You know, when you look at places like uh, the Indian subcontinent, uh, Southeast Asia, even some of the African countries um, as events destinations, um, we should look further afield. And, and there is that danger that we get lost in Brexit and lost in the EU and forget the fact that we are part of a far, far bigger global marketplace um, and that there are long-term opportunities for people. Um, and Having said that, I think it's perhaps something that we could look at further down the line. I'm sure in another episode of the podcast, um, we will look at how some of our UK events organizers and companies are working on a, a, a global level rather than just pan-European. So I'm very pleased and I thank you for raising that point at the end. And it's, and it's a great way to finish today um, on, a, on, a, on a very positive note. So we should um, now begin wrapping up and thank our guests today. First of all, David Phillips. David is the director of Brookhouse Limited, a B2B events and marketing consultancy. David, thank you very much for getting in touch with Event Industry News and thank you very much for coming on to the podcast. Thank you James, it's been a pleasure. And Nick Wright, Nick is a teaching fellow in EU politics at the University College London. Nick, again, thank you very much for your time, for your thoughts, for your opinion today and for coming on the podcast. Pleasure, absolute pleasure.
don't forget that this uh, this podcast, if you're watching it on the video, you can also download all of the podcasts as audio-only versions via iTunes. Just head over and search for the Event Industry News Podcast. Uh, the podcast is sponsored by N200GES, our smart event solution partner. For more information on N200 and its smart event solutions, visit n200.com. And I should also remind you that there is the Event Industry News app, which you can use to access all of the latest content that's gone onto eventindustrynews.com. The app is available for all the major mobile devices and platforms. So thank you very much for tuning in. This has been uh, another special edition of the podcast, just reflecting and looking at some opinions on how the general election result and Brexit as a whole is starting or we think could affect the events industry. We've recorded this episode on Tuesday the 4th of July, just as a little reference point so people can keep a timeline going if you are looking back and, and listening to some of these podcasts retrospectively. Thank you once again for our guests and we'll see you on the next episode. My name is James Dixon and this is the Event Industry News Podcast. Thank you very much. Good night. Mm -hmm.